Good evening, my fellow investors. Welcome back to a new episode of the Newcomer Investors Channel, where we uh, talk about stocks, share insights, and debates. Today is a legendary day because we have a guest in the house. Welcome, Millennial Mojo. I'm so happy to have you here today. You know, it's not only about getting to know more about your your stocks and, and your investing, but it's also like just interacting with you over the last few months. I can tell that you're genuinely like a good person, you know? And, and to me, that's the most exciting thing about this whole investing journey. It's the people that I meet and the great conversations that we have. So thank you for agreeing to be here today. And uh, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, thank Thanks, Tony. Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a good little time we've had kind of ch chatting back and forth about different things. It's been a good time. Uh, so I'm I'm Steve. Hi, I'm at uh, Millennial Mojo. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, basically, a little bit about how I got started investing. Basically, when I was about 15 years old, my dad gave me two gave me an option of these two books, and he's like, "Hey, if you read these two books, like." You'll never have to go to school again. And I did the classic thing that 15-year-old kids do is they're like, I'm not reading this. Like, there's no chance that I'm going to read this. Because when you're growing up, you think you know everything. And then life kind of smacks your eye a little bit. And you realize, oh, no, I don't really know anything. So it took me a couple of years, but I finally ended up reading those two books. And those two books ended up being The Wealthy Barber by David Chilton and Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Now, not everything in those books is applicable to the world we live in now, but they did teach me the mindset and kind of they started building the strategies for what I wanted to do. And that is kind of how it started to kickstart, you know, investing and doing some research and doing a little bit of real estate and stuff like that. And it just really became more of a learning adventure all the time. And you get to talk to a lot of really cool, like-minded people like yourself. And it's one of those things of like the more you get to talk to other people, you can pull out these little tips and tricks and strategies from everyone. You can apply them to your own perspective and your own portfolio and your own plan if they work for you. And that's been that's been the fun part. So I started investing in dividend stocks when I opened my tip site at 18, and that was fun. Uh, I bought some real estate in 2020, and since then, just kind of doing a little bit of the both. Stocks, index funds for the most part, and real estate. And it's it has its fun moments, but there's also some stressful moments, as we all know. Yes. Love that, man. I, I just, I love what you said about taking stuff from random people and kind of applying it to yourself. Like it's an open-minded approach. I find usually people who do things like that tend to be the most successful because you're not putting yourself in like one thing. You're literally like, you have maybe, you know, an overarching strategy, but you are constantly, you know, testing and, and mm -hmm. keeping your mind open to, to different opinions. And that's great, man. And that's a perfect segue for our next question for you, which is, can you tell us a bit more now with more detail about your kind of investing style or guiding philosophy? Yeah, so uh, so I'll start with kind of I look at it. I have three pillars to my to my milking stool, I guess we'll call it. So my first one is index funds, which is the majority of my investments, say, and everything runs through that as my base foundation of that's how I really should have gone started, and that's how I started transitioning into that after because I realized, hey. I'm not smarter than the average person. I like to think I am, but I'm not. And when it comes to, I can't pick everything correctly, so I might as well buy the index or buy index funds. It's just like, hey, like we're going to go with that. And to me, that's worked out great. So that's pillar number one. Pillar number two is dividend investing. To me, dividend investing became fun because when I started growing up and I started talking to other people and you get you talk around and you figure out, okay, like who's your cell phone bill? Who's your mortgage provider? Who's your banking person? Who's your utilities? And you talk to all these different people and you start realizing that like, hey, 
a lot of us seem to be sending money to these companies every month for utilities that we need to use on a daily basis or stuff that we use on a daily basis. So it started to become like, hmm, maybe there's a way that if we're sending them money, they can send us a little bit of cash back. And that's how it kind of started. So my first investment was in Bell. And it was like, that was my phone bill at the time. So I was like, all right, this seems like a logical play. I'll start buying a little bit of Bell and eventually I'll have a free phone bill. And that's kind of what it started. It started out as a little bit of a game. And I was like, all right, like, let's see the first time. I think my first dividend I have it here was $1.13. And I was like, oh my God, like I was excited. Legendary. In, yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, it's like, wow, like it's $1.13. Yeah. But explaining that to someone is like, that's $1.13 now, but now it's way more than $1.13. It's like, yep. it's cool. It's exciting. So there is a little bit of, you know, you try to make a game out of a gamification. You have fun with it. So that's my second pillar. My third pillar is real estate, which has been something that I have always been enamored with. I know a whole lot of people don't really do that, but I do own a couple rentals and they are, they are fun for me. I must say they are stressful at times when you don't have tenants or you have some type of maintenance you got to do or some capital expenditure. So there is some downside with it but it is a lot of fun in my perspective and at the end of the day you're providing a service for people and that's the fun part of it that's amazing man i i love that uh, i i like that you have you know pillars and it's clearly it's very organized in your head like you have a strategy that you keep building on so that's mm -hmm. awesome so i want to go back to your first pillar uh, yep. index funds can you give us a bit of insight on which, which ones do you own? What what do you prioritize there? Yeah, so for for the most part, my index funds make up about, uh, I think it's about 60% of my portfolio. Wow, and it's, nice. they're in mostly two index funds, I will say. I Actually, there's okay. three. So my biggest one is in VDY, which is the Canadian uh, dividend paying index fund. Really like that one just because that's how that's how I started. It was like, hey, look, I, I can't pick everything. Let's just get the basket of a whole bunch of things and let's just start building that. And then you, the more research you do into that. So VDY is a little bit heavier in the financial sectors versus yeah. uh, I believe XCI. it's XCI, XCI. XCI. Yeah. compared to the iShares one. So it's kind of like, okay, you got to pick your, I don't want to say pick your poison, but you pick your strategy a little bit. If yep. you would like to be a little bit heavier in financials or in other stuff, it's okay. So I chose VDY and I liked it that it paid every month a little bit. So that was kind of fun to see a little bit of money coming in every month. But at the same time, we got to the position of, hey, let's just keep growing this. Like, let's, again, let's make a game out of it. Let's have fun. Uh, my second biggest one is VFV, which is the S&P 500, which yes. everyone loves. Yes. Everyone favorite. loves that. <laughs> yeah. So that one is my second biggest hold. It is one of those ones of like, I don't think it'll ever drop below third place ever. Like it's, to me, it just, it's too easy to just yep. do that. Like, hey, let's just take the 500 biggest companies and let's just run with that. Now you have people to talk about, hey, you know, you can do better if you pick small caps or you pick medium caps or you pick emerging markets. And it's like, I, I don't really want to look into all that. Like I, know the people who run the top five well i don't know them personally but like the people who run mm -hmm. the top 500 companies i like to think they have an idea what they're doing and those companies tend to keep growing so i was like all right let's just do that let's let it ride and to me it's one of the easiest ways to build wealth and if i was to start over i would start with that one immediately of yeah. just like hey let's do the sp 500 let's do vfv or whatever your equivalency is and let's run with that and let's go have fun uh, my third one, I have a very tiny position, very tiny position, which is SCHD, which is the oh, yeah. American one. Yep. Very, very tiny position. I don't have a whole lot. I bought a little bit of it. And it's kind of one of those things of like, oh, like we'll keep adding to it a little bit as we go, but I don't have a very large position in that one. But it's Dude. just a little bit of a fun one. 
are we like practically twins or something? Because I, for me, VFV, you know, is my, t is my favorite. And then I also have yep. a little bit of SCHD. I don't have VDY, however. I used to own it. But, um, and, and honestly, like, if, if you have only ETFs, like, I think it's, it's probably one of the best. My only issue was I have so much financials, like, in my individual stocks. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. And I was like, okay, I love our financials. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, too. Oh, yeah. How great our financials are. But I was still like, you know what? I still want to be a bit more diversified. And I have, like, no energy. I just have Enbridge. So I was like, you know what? Let's just get the XEI, which is a bit heavier on energy instead. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. But anyway, love that, man. That's, you said 60% of your portfolio is index? Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, like it's it's one of those things of I, I don't get me wrong. I have some single holdings which I I absolutely love to death. But to me, yeah. it was okay. Let's build the foundation correctly. Like let's have yeah. a little bit of everything. Like I rather have the chicken coop than just the chicken. Exactly. So that if one chicken goes down, then I have other chickens in the chicken coop. Uh, so to me, it was like, hey, like this is a no brainer. And I remember talking to one of my buddies and. We were chit-chatting. He was, he was starting to learn how to invest, and he's like, oh, like, what do you think we should do? Not we. He said him, but like, we were talking. He's like, what do you think I should do? And I was like, hey, look, like, I, I don't really know what you want to do, what your time horizons are, but like, if you're looking for something, start with an index. Like, If you want to do like VFV or VDY or the two ones that I had introduced him at the time, we talked about it and I explained to him, and he was like, oh, like, yeah, this starts to make sense. And now the guy is blown past me in his portfolio, and wow. he enjoys every minute of it, and we chat all the time about it. It's like, yeah. oh, like, I can't imagine what my life would have been before this. And like, He did real estate for a long time. He's like, all right, let's try something different. I introduced him to that, and he's having a lot of fun with that. So wow. it, yeah. it is one of those things of like, it doesn't take a lot to get into it and it's yep. not the craziest thing in the world like yep. it's it's not super leveraged or anything it's very very easy love that that's that's amazing man it's it's really inspiring and and again what you're saying about building the right foundation i wish mm -hmm. i had done that i actually started off like that and then i thought i was smart and I was like, let me just stop with this index stuff and let's just buy my individual stocks. And mm -hmm. I bought stupid stocks. And, and now I'm back to, <laughs> to in, uh, going back deeper into investing and uh, indexing. So anyway, that, that's, that's an awesome strategy, man. Uh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's one of those things that you need to learn a little bit. And if you yeah. make mistakes, it makes it better because you learn what not to do the next time. Yeah. And that's kind of the cool thing about it is if you make that mistake, it's easier than just sitting there learning theory about why not to make the mistake. But if you actually learn the mistake and take away from it, you're going to be in a better position. It's like telling the kid, hey, don't go stick your hand on the stove like it's hot. And the kid will say like, yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. And then the kid goes and touches his hand on the stove and goes, oh, well, he starts crying. It's like, well, yeah, it's a lesson you only have to learn once. We told you and you did it anyways. And now look at you. So it's one of those things of like, yeah. OK, there is a little bit to it, but it's it's a good thing that once you get into that's true okay i want to pick your brains on another thing and this wasn't even on our yeah. schedule of topics but because we're talking about vfv i'm curious um so so i myself i'm pretty bullish on america in general like i, I for, for me vfv is a very foundational uh core holding but so i've heard yeah but but uh, you know there's a lot of chatter on online and and just geopolitics politics in general it seems like the, the, the tide is, uh, you know, turning and perhaps the U.S. supremacy in the world may not be as huge as it has been the last hundred years. Uh, so with that, I'm wondering, what do you think about, because you said you don't inv invest in emerging. Do you, are you thinking no. maybe to start looking at some of that or are you still fully in the U.S.? Like, what, what do you think about all that? No, I like there is some companies in the S&P 500 that do have international that are international but the way i also kind of look at it is the companies are in the s p 500 so we'll take apple let's say 
Apple's in the SP 500. Apple is also doing a whole bunch of business in all these different countries around the world. So it's not like it's just segregated only to the US. Like it's a company yeah. that's literally doing business around the world. You go anywhere in the world, people have iPhones. Like people have Androids. So people people have business. I know Android is not part of Apple, but you'll get that. Yeah. yeah. You, you get it. But it's one of those things of like, look, like the companies that are in there aren't just segregated to one market. They're doing a little bit of everything. Microsoft, like Teslas. You go everywhere and Teslas are Teslas are everywhere now, apparently. And it's one of those things of like, okay, yes, there might be some slower days for the SP five hundred. And I guarantee there's gonna be things that are gonna blow it out of the water some years. We see it every year. There's always gonna be something that beats the SP five hundred. You're gonna have a whole bunch of people shouting from the rooftop of like, you guys are idiots that you didn't buy into this blah <laughs> yeah. blah blah and it's like okay th that's great but i've also seen the track record of the s p 500 and it's something that people talk about and i've heard about it a thousand times and you look and you go okay look we're gonna have bad days we're gonna have good days but over time it does pretty good and i'm kind of okay with just being if my investment can be average I'm perfectly content with that because my mm -hmm. average then would be the SP 500 and that's going to be about 9% a year. And I'm okay with that. If that makes Pretty me a fool average. for only wanting that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So you are bullish on America regardless, because anyway, like you said, their, their companies and products are everywhere. Yes. Cool. I, I agree by the way, that's my thoughts on that too. <laughs> uh, love it. Okay. I want to talk about your second pillar now. So you right. love dividends. Tell me a bit about the type of dividends that you love here. Are we talking about dividend growth stocks, high yield stocks, a mix? Uh, you know what I mean? What what dividends do we have? Yeah, here? I'm I'm now a dividend growth stock hmm. guy. I did uh, I did get caught in some high yield traps, and I think everyone does. And again, that comes with the learning territory of like when yep. you learn these things. So I bought a little bit of um, FFN, DFN and oh, FTM, yeah. which are Quadrivest um, split share funds. Yep. For the record, split share funds, terrible idea. Not great. I got, well, I didn't say I got burnt. I, I came out okay with it, but it's one of those things of like, I bought those when I was at the beginning, because as we talked, as you talked about in your last episode, when you go and, you know, you start to learn about yield and stuff and you go and you start oh, to go yeah. to your Google screen and you go, all right, what has the biggest yield? And you go and you see things that are yielding from 10 to 15% and you go, oh my yes, God, like, I found this some is gold. easy. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. why isn't everybody doing this? Like, what is, what's it, what's the secret with this? So then you start doing some stuff in that, and then you start to realize that there's reasons why people aren't doing this is that they're, they're not the greatest securities in the world. And sometimes they're underlined with some garbage in there. Yeah. And it's like, well, the strategy on it isn't great. So it's, I, I did get caught a little bit on that, but it's not, it wasn't more than play money, I guess we'll say. So it's more of like, I prefer to do dividend growth investing. So it's more of, I like to invest in companies that are growing their balance sheet, growing their earnings per share, that are growing cash flow, that are going to keep paying out dividends in the future, and that are going to continue to grow that. So as long as we can kind of keep the company going and keep growing, it's okay for me. And like, there's a bunch of companies. So if you want to take a look at a company, you look at a company like Fortis, who has been growing their dividend, I think for 48 or 49 consecutive years. Yep. And it's one of those things of like, okay, like you can understand the business model behind this. They are quite regulated. They have good pipeline or good pipelines of energy coming through. And it's like, okay, this business is integral to so many people's lives that this is not really going to disappear overnight. And if it did, then something a lot worse has happened in the world that we don't really Nuclear know what war. to do. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go that far, but like I guess we can Literally. go with that. <laughs> yeah, people need energy. Yep. Yeah. 
So I would say DGI is more of my thing. Okay, dividend growth. Love it. Yeah. Hey, that, that's a good strategy, man. So um, I'm also going to segue into this now because you mentioned Bell earlier. I own Bell for the record. Uh, it's not my favorite telecom. We'll talk more about telecoms later. But I want to ask you, uh, they reported earnings this morning. And I'm looking at that, and I'm I'm a little scared here. What's going on with their dividends and their cash flow? Is it safe? What do you think? Okay, so I have to admit, I saw brief numbers this morning. I haven't looked into it a whole lot. Is is it safe? I'm not. I I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to take a look into it more. But the way I kind of look at it is, okay, you have so many people that are going to be paying into the company from. You talk to any of your friends. They yeah. might have their phone bill with them. They have internet with them. They have TV with them. They have all these different subscription services. They are spending a ton of money to improve the networks, roll out 5G, expand the five network across. And the way that they do that is they do it by using debt. And debt has gone skyrocketing with interest rates recently in the last year. So it's kind of one of those things of like, okay, there is a little bit of that. The one little piece of information that I did see that come out is they had a one-time media expense fee that yes. was – part of their books this time okay like that's that's great we we don't know what that is and they probably won't tell us what that is but it's one of those things of like okay if that's a one-off that's okay i guess it's not great don't get me wrong but it's one of those things of like if the balance sheet starts to go down then it's one of those things of like okay maybe this isn't great but to me it's it's gonna be a solid company like i'm perfectly content with it i'm not overly overly scared with the dividend cut if it if it does happen it happens but i don't foresee it happening right now i believe that they're paying out most of their stuff from the free cash flow and they've had a large amount of cash flow in reserves for the longest time knowing that hey when we get to the point where we're going to start rolling out our 5g and expanding our network we're going to be using some of our reserve cash flow so i believe they still have a ton left in the reserve cash flow and it's one of those things of okay it might take a hit right now but i believe in the long term that this is still going to be okay Love it. I'm happy to hear it, man, because as a recent shareholder, uh, let me tell you that story real quick. So I'm, I'm just transitioned. Like I'm, I'm, we're getting married and moving and everything. And that place that we're moving at, it's a condo. They have a special deal uh, with Bell. Like you get it half price, really good price for the internet. So we said, let's get with Bell. But then I had the dividend mindset came in. I was like, man, if I have to pay this company, I might as well get some dividends back, you know? So that's what, and the timing was perfect because that's right when it had that dip earlier, like dipped around 59 bucks or something. So that's when I, I got, I caught some. So yeah, anyway, I, I hope that the dividends stay safe, but um, I, I, I'm reassured by what you said. That's, that's some good stuff. I mean, okay. I, I, that's just my perspective. Like it's, yeah. I, I could be completely out to lunch on it and that's oh, fine. And that's sure. just my but own two cents. I, I'm still happy to hear when someone tells, you know what I mean? It's like, if someone says yeah. they're safe, it's one extra person that, you know, I, I value yeah. your opinion. So, so that's good. And, and honestly, I'm probably catastrophizing. I'm still just like, uh, you know, recovering from the Algonquin power, which actually let's talk about that for a second. Cause <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, but like we have other topics, but I want to talk about that since we're on it now. Yep. You, you still own that, right? Or not? I do. Okay, good. Tell me what you think about this whole thing. I still own it too. What's I, going on? I'm my thesis going into it was kind of the same as it was when I bought it versus where it is now. I still think that utilities are going to be a large component in the future. They were doing some some work in the renewable sector, which they were growing for the longest time. Then they did have to sell off some assets, which helps with the balance sheet. And then they, thankfully, I think, well, I'm fairly convinced it's thankfully they stopped their merger with. Uh, Kentucky. Was it Ken Kentucky? Yes, yes. thankfully, 
Yeah. I was getting Kentucky and Kansas City mixed up from the CN. Oh, yeah. Yes. But it was, yeah. So they stopped it with Kentucky. And you know what? On on the thirty thousand foot view, it's like, all right, maybe they dodged a bullet on this one of like, hey, like let's let's restructure our balance sheet. Like let's take a look at some stuff. We're we're getting absolutely destroyed on interest rates right now. And there's a whole bunch of different small things like that. And it's just like, okay, let's start to fix our foundation a little bit and like let's go from there. So my thesis on it when I bought it was like, all right, like let's this is going to be utility companies. Everyone's going to use utilities. I think it's going to be okay. Now, I think a little bit of the dividend cut was baked in to the price when we were taking a look at it in, in I think December, it was like December, November. December, January. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were taking a look at that and you, you kind of look at it, it. The writing was a little bit on the wall and everyone kind of saw it coming and then it happened and everyone was freaking out. But it's like you, you kind of knew this was going to happen. Like yeah. just looking at the way the company was going and trying to push further and further, you just, they just kind of took a look and went, yeah, maybe we can't do this. Maybe we have to take a break and reevaluate things a little bit. So I'm, I'm still okay with it. I know a lot of people, I got absolutely destroyed talking to a couple people on the day they announced the dividend cut. I had some people calling me an idiot and stuff. And I yeah, was like, Hey, same. look, like it's, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I kind of still like it. And there's a lot of people that are like, as soon as the dividends cut, like I'm out and I'm like, all right, that's, that's fine. That, that, that's okay. If that's your thesis, if your thesis is I will sell immediately as soon as there's a dividend cut and I'm out good. If that's what you want to do and that's your guns and you stick to it, go for it. For me, it was like, all right, it can take a hit. We're going to see what happens. And if it doesn't turn around the next little bit, like I want to give it enough runway to kind of go and be like, all right, we're going to try some new things. We're going to rebalance. We're going to try to fix the foundation here, and then we're going to move forward. If it can't move forward and fix the cracks in the foundation in a couple of years, I'm willing to give it. I'll be like, all right, I'll chalk that one up as a loss. It's a learning opportunity at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So if it loses me a little bit, it's a learning opportunity. And to me, that's, I don't want to call it a win, but it's a moral win of like, all right, I learned my lesson with this. Yeah, I like that, man. That's a very fair take. I, I, I think to be devil's advocate, because I can tell you, people called me a crazy. Like I, I put out an episode. It was my first episode. So one of my first, I was like, my thoughts are not going to power. And I was like, yeah, it's it's not that bad and stuff. And people were like, trashed me so hard. Yeah. On that. But it's okay. Anyway, um, I, so it, it's fair. But to be devil's advocate, I think yep. the thing that pissed off a lot of people and, and that caught me by surprise was generally when we invest in like regulated utilities, we think it's going to have a Fortis type of chart, which is it barely moves. Like I was looking at Fortis today and I was like, man, it, it, it doesn't even look like there was a pandemic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some stocks fell like 50% and then it came back. Fortis yeah. was kind of just like, the, like it didn't yeah. do anything. And I think people, or at least I expected Ogonquin when I bought into it to kind of be like that. So when that whole thing happened, I was like, wait a second, did we just fall like 40%? What? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that's why people were, were mad about it. Yeah, but anyway, and I mean, there's yeah, there's a learning. there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that that still hold it. Like I know yeah. um, Nathan Devin and TSX. Like we oh, he we've talked his about favorite stock. I know it, it, yeah. he is he is one hundred percent convicted on oh, it. Yeah, and it's he is. it's one of those things of like yeah, like I like hearing his thoughts on it too because yes. when you when you get to listen to people who talk with such conviction like that. It kind of makes, like you said earlier, it kind of makes you go, all right, I can yes. understand his point of view. And like, let's, let's ride this out a little bit. So yeah. Agreed. Love it. Okay. I want to talk a little bit uh, more about your portfolio now. Got it. Um, Cause so we, we talked about, we established your index funds about 60%. Let's yes. look at the 40 remaining percent. What, what yep. kind of stocks do you own? What, what are they? Uh, so I own roughly 10 other ones. Let me just kind of take a look here. Yeah, I have roughly 10 other ones. So I will admit 
all the other single holdings are actually companies that are held within VDY. So someone can take a look at that and go like, hey, you're, you're double dipping on these. And my answer to that is, yes, I am. And here's why. When I started with VDY, it was like, all right, like let's start going through and let's let's take a look at what they have, and then let's start buying a couple of those off there. So it started out as, all right, let's buy some some RBC, let's buy some TD, let's buy some BNS, and like let's just kind of go through there and go through the checklist. So as VDY has still kind of remained the same, I haven't added a whole lot to it recently. I have built out some of the other singles as well. So it's one of those, to me, it's like, okay, I like to have the entire portfolio, but there's also a couple in there that I do really like, and I want to have some exposure to these ones separately. So like I said, a couple of those are the banks. I have some Enbridge, I have some Fortis, I have some Algonquin. Um, what is the other one? I have Bell, I have Telus. Like I have a couple of the the big ones that everyone really knows about. So yeah. I just took a look at it earlier. I believe the top 55 or 60% of VDY are actually single companies that I own. Now you might look at that and go, well, that seems like a lot. And it's like, okay, like that's to me that that's okay. Now it could be to some people who hear this go, well, you're you're really exposed by these 12 companies, 10 companies that are you own single and you also own in VDY. And to me, it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of okay. Like, it's not gonna be an absolute tankathon if I buy one of these things and they go to zero. I don't think any of them are gonna go to zero. And if they do, then it's a learning lesson. But it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm trying to buy into GameStock or something that's in this. Mm -hmm, and it's like, yeah. well, we're gonna see I what happens. Crap. Yeah, yeah, I'm not buying crap. Established companies that are yeah. very large. I want to know about your highest conviction stock or stocks. Okay. Uh, yes. To me, like it. it's, I I don't have I don't have a super hot take on anything. Like the thing that I'm the most convinced about, I guess that I have the most conviction about would be our financials. And it's just to me, it's okay. You do see a lot of the stuff that's happened in the states with some of the banks that have gone belly up, let's say, or are in trouble. Yeah. And we kind of take a look around in our financials, and it's one of those things of they've been fairly stable for ever. A lot of them have been paying out dividends for a very long time, and I understand that's only one component of it. But even if we take a look at some of our banks back in the 2008, 2009, the, the financial crisis then, okay, our banks went down, but there was never a talk of like, oh, our banks might disappear. Like they, they've been strong. They're regulated by the government for the most part. So they have guidelines of like, hey, like you need to keep this amount of cash reserves on hand. Like you can't raise your interest rates as we saw, or your dividend rates. We saw that during the COVID pandemic at the start. It was like, hey, like we're putting a lock on this. The Office of Superintendent Financial Intendant, he was like, hey, look, we're not, we're not letting you do that. You need to keep more cash on hand just in case. And they were kind of like, all right, let's play by the rules. Let's just do it. So it's one of those things of like, I know that 95% of people would say, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little more. We don't really know. Most people have their mortgages with their banks. Most people are doing their banking with the banks. Everything in their life is running through their bank accounts. And if all the money is mostly tied up in one of these big six financials in Canada, it's one of those things to me of like, hey, look, I don't really think there's anything right now that's going to disrupt that. Everyone kind of has a little bit of their cash there. So to me, they might have these balance sheets that seem ridiculous, but it's everyone is going to end up paying this like between us like your your bank accounts are you paying your monthly do you have a monthly fee on your account maybe it's like three dollars but it's just Actually, no nothing yes, okay. i do on, on one okay but i'm going so, to close that account <laughs> yes. so on my yeah. account like okay three dollars but it's like okay if it's three dollars from me and three dollars from you and it's three dollars from a million other people it's like well it's not that bad they're gonna have some cash coming in and i did see yeah. 
that one of the biggest uh, points for them at the beginning of the pandemic was they were getting a lot of their money, well, not a lot, they were getting a good chunk of money from people who were breaking their mortgages, paying the penalty, and oh. then renewing it. So it was one of those things of like, you take a look and you go, oh, that's interesting. Like it, it was a little bit of a, it benefits both people a little bit that if you had a higher mortgage of let's say 3%, you were able to bring it down to 1.8 and you could lock it in for five years. Okay, maybe you paid a penalty, but the bank was kind of like, all right, like Nothing if cash. we take a little bit of hit, you're going to give us the cash now, and yeah. we'll let you do this. And when they have to go renew in the next couple of years, it'll be like, well, you're probably going to have to end up paying a higher rate now, and they had a little bit of access to those funds to do some other stuff. But to me, banks are one of those things of I don't really see them going anywhere anytime soon, and I'm kind of okay with holding those and having conviction in them interesting thank you for sharing that uh i didn't know that thing about the the mortgages that's yeah. cool question for you here well, well hold on um, hold on wait a second what what do you have the most conviction in real quick wait i promise i will tell you but i will right. just stay on the banks for a second okay um about because so okay i own scotia bank yeah it's my largest <laughs> bank holding yep um it has not performed as well as the others. I want to hear your nope. take on what's going. Like, is it gonna come back or no? Do you even like that bank? Do you have it? I don't know. What do you? I think have it. Here? What's going on so, with them? So I've had Scotia Bank since 2017, I think. Uh, no, sorry, 2020. I did. I did sell out of it briefly to buy a rental, and then I bought back in. Okay. But it's one of those things of like, okay. Uh, it seems like we've heard about the expansion into Latin America forever. And it's one of those things yeah. that it seems like they they keep coming and saying, hey, like, we're going to do this. And you see that, all right, well, they're going to go to Chile and stuff. And it's like, all right, great. Let's start seeing some results because they keep talking about it. And it just seems like they're spinning, the, they're spinning their wheels. There's not a whole lot of traction being made because they keep talking about, like, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to expand to these other places. And it just seems like it's not really going anywhere. So I do know that you've talked about having the new CEO coming in. They're like, all right, we're going to take a look at some stuff, and we do want to strengthen this, but maybe we're going to take a step back and reevaluate some stuff. So I do have some conviction on it. I do, I do like it a lot. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my larger single holdings, but it's one of those things of like I'm, I'm not overly concerned with it going anywhere. Sure, it's not where we would like it to be, but I still think overall it's going to be okay in the long run. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I agree broadly. Like, I, I'm not for me, this is not a company that I'm scared I'm going to lose money on it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was lucky to buy at like, you know, $56 during the pandemic. So I'm like, it's never or maybe it will come back there, but it's going to take a big pandemic again <laughs> to get to that level. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. good. Capital gains wise, I'm good. And I'm collecting like almost 8% dividend yield on cost, you know, and it's growing. So yeah. I'm not concerned from that perspective. I'm more just frustrated. I see some banks like, you know, National Bank has output, like for the big six, it's been a beast. And even EQB, I own EQB. It's yep. crazy. It's so good. And I'm like, damn, I think Scotiabank's really good. Um, and I, I also bank with, with, I bank with Scotiabank and with Tangerine. Okay. I used to bank with Royal Bank. Well, I still do, but I, I won't soon. And anyway, like the, the mobile experience and stuff, like Scotiabank, the product is really good. Like it's not even a crappy bank. So <laughs> I'm more just like annoyed that they're not getting, because I see where they could be and they're here. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and I I think it's one of the things of okay, you you bought into it for a reason. Has your yeah. reason changed from when you bought it to where you are now? Like, has your thesis on your purchase changed at all, or is it just no. maybe you're a little bit upset with where it is? Yeah, I'm upset with where it is, but the thesis is the same. Like, I, I share your view. Well, I, I mean, no, I'm not as 
high conviction as you, I would say, on the banks in general. I am pretty confident. Like, I don't think they'll they'll die. I, I do think we may have, you know, more upsetting moments that may happen, may, even maybe in the short term. I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. I just, I would say it's extremely unlikely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if I had a portfolio that was only the banks, I, I would still sleep at night. I wouldn't like these scared. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty high conviction. But it's, it's maybe not as much as, you know, so, so many of us in the Canadian financial sphere we're really like you know super die hard and it's like you know banks are nothing and it's like ah, yeah. especially for like right now i d i wouldn't put more money in the banks i'm more kind of waiting and seeing a little bit i did buy mm -hmm. a bit more td when they there they had that thing like um a couple months ago yep uh but i'm still kind of like looking you know what i mean it it's something nice to just kind of keep your eye on too like when yeah. opportunity strikes is yes. or when opportunity comes around it's like all right i i like this company i like company abc let's say I've been watching for a while. I've I've kept on top of kind of their their financials. I've looked over their balance sheets a little bit. I've done a little bit of the deep dive. To me, right now, the price that it's at is not reflective of what I think. So maybe I'm gonna wait a little bit. Now, yeah. some would some might look at that as hey, you're trying to time the market. And it's like, well, okay, maybe I am slightly trying to time the market, but it's one of those things of like I'm still convinced that this company will do well so i'm going to start small positions and then once i do i'm going to dollar cost average into it yeah it's one of those things of like i'm not going to go and dump 10 grand to some company tomorrow and just be like all right like let's we're just going to let this ride no like it, it's going to be a slow process that's going to build i don't think you could ever just go and pump ten thousand into one company and then just let it go yeah no and if you did you had an almanac and you came from the future and if so please come let's share it with us Dude, I have to tell you too, um, I wonder if, if your approach is similar, but I, for me at least, as I get a bit more experienced in investing, I am actually, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a market timer, but I'm definitely more patient than I used to be. So like I, my ETFs actually is what I just buy like every month, I buy a little yep. bit of my ETFs constantly, and I don't, that I don't time at all. But for individual stocks, I am a bit more patient, like now I'm actually okay having a bit of cash, waiting for opportunities. Uh, I don't know if you saw that that thing like yesterday. I jumped into Aritzia. Never expected that I would buy this company, but yeah. but I've been following it for like two years. And yes, I mean that's like twenty four percent drop to me. That's ridiculous. It didn't fall twenty four percent in value. So I was like, okay, let's type. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't have. Let's try this two days before, but yesterday, you know, when I when I see that, I'm like, okay, that this is a good. So so yeah, I'm wondering what's your approach on that? Do you time a little bit like that or? I uh, yeah, I, I guess. Technically, yes, I do time a little bit, but I do have my bi-weekly shares that go in into VFV. So to me, it's kind of okay, like, okay, yeah. I, I do have this this dollar cost average in a VFV that happens every two weeks. I will run that till the end, and I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. But there is some times where it's like, okay, like I'll take a look and I'll go, hmm, all right, like in uh, in January, let's say. In January, some of the companies that you would like to buy that are going to pay out in February, let's say, are like Royal Bank. So Royal Bank has an ex-dividend date that is normally around uh, – let's take a look and let's do some backwards math here. Seven, I four, wish I one. Around uh, January 24th is when it was. So I was like, all right, if I have some cash in January, maybe I'm going to buy some RY so that I can start increase my position for February's dividend. Okay. So there is some, there is a little bit of that I will do, but for the most part, it's it's a couple bucks here and there. Yeah, it's yeah. not, it's nothing grand. Like I'm, I'm not sitting there stacking up ten thousand, like I said, and then dropping into this one company to be like, all right, yeah. I see an opportunity here that I would like to increase this position. 
Let's take a look and see what I can do. All right, let's do this type thing. So there are times where I do try to maximize when I can get the dividend, I guess I'll say. So like in that ROI example is, okay, I know the dividend income, the record date's on the 24th. I need to own it by then. So it's like, all right, let's do it beforehand. Let's allocate January's cash to here. And then for February, it'll flip over. So like February, something I'll take a look into is buying manually for Enbridge, which I don't really want to buy anything more of that. So it's kind of one of those things of like, all right, I'm going to hold cash a little bit. And then when it rolls around in March, it's like, all right, I want to buy some more TD, Bell, or Bank of Nova Scotia. So it's one of those things of like, okay, those are a couple of them that I'll take a look at and I keep an eye on. It's like, all right, if it's in this target range, then maybe I'll allocate some cash. If not, then I'll just index some of it if I'm if I'm not totally convinced on something, which I'm perfectly fine and happy to do. Yeah, love that. Hey, that's a good strategy. Uh, you know, if timing with the the, the the X dividend dates. I I noticed I I haven't done that much, but I have been often frustrated, you know, buying something and then realizing like, ah, oh, damn it, the X dividend date was like ten days ago or <laughs> something. I have to wait another three months to. So yeah. yeah, that's that's a pretty good strategy actually. But at the same time, e even though okay, yes, yes, it might sound like I'm only doing it for the dividend, which there is a very tiny component that is that, but it's also these are good companies in my mind like well, it's yeah, not of like of course you're buying I'm, actually good stocks yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. i'm not just buying something to to collect the dividend i'm buying companies as well that i'm very convinced that are of going course. to continue to do well and be okay yeah, yeah 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 okay um quick question before i answer the, the question that you asked me back but just all right your portfolio how, how much is it a canadian versus american like overall? uh Overall, so yeah. it's about uh, 98% Canadian and 2% oh, American wow. with SCHD. Wait, what about VFV? Well, sorry, the VFV, okay. From currency-wise, it's 98 Canadian. Oh, yeah. I meant, sorry. like, portfolio-wise. Uh, portfolio-wise, I don't have the answer off the top oh, of my head, okay. No worries. Yeah. Uh, I was just curious in chat because we talk a lot about Canadian. Uh, one problem that I have had is that I am too Canadian in my portfolio. Uh, I think... Man, I have to, I'll have to check too. I think I'm like maybe 15% American or even okay. less than that, which is, it's too low. Like I'm really trying to go like 30% minimum mm -hmm. America over the long term. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, so like I, I, I was just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I do have a, like a very, very tiny position, like VUN, which is the Vanguard uh, US index. So like there, there is a little small component of that. It's not a major component. That's why I didn't really talk about it in the first half yeah, there yeah. in the first part, is but it's just like, like hey, like. Yeah, uh, no, it just does the American. So it's very similar to uh, VTI. Oh, total markets. In the, yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically the US total market. So it's one of those things of like, hey, like I'm okay to have a small component in that. And I'll, I'll throw a couple bucks at that every once in a while. Just like, all right, let's just yeah. let's just grow that a little bit. And it's just, I don't know. It's It's nothing fantastic, but I don't have a whole lot of. I don't like to go and pick American stocks. Like yep. you see people who talk about O oh, Realty and it's like, I, I don't know anything oh, about, yeah. I don't know enough about that to go do it. Or they talk about Apple and Microsoft, which don't get me wrong, great oh, companies. I'm in love with them. I own them. But I, I don't have, I don't have that much room in my RSP that I'm willing to go and say like, all right, I'm going to go put some cash into Apple or go put some cash yeah. on Microsoft. To me, it's like, all right, I'm going to index those. I'm going to let that go. I'm just going to ride the wave. I don't, really want to own a portion of it because i'll own enough of it through the index for my liking yeah, how about you that, are you kind of similar yeah, like i do know you do have some american singles I, I, but yeah i i like the americans man honestly i mean same thing with the rsp it's tricky but now you can get them i don't know if you've looked at the cdrs uh have you heard of that i have not oh if you haven't i'm about to blow your mind man all right oh you haven't heard of it okay oh that's amazing okay so 
Uh, do you know what ADRs are? No. Okay. Um, have you ever purchased, like, uh, looked at, um, what's one? I think Unilever, or at least Alibaba. You know Alibaba, right? You've heard of them? I do know Alibaba, yeah. No, you can buy them on the New York Stock Exchange, but it's a Chinese stock. Now, how does that work? You don't actually buy Alibaba shares. You buy a piece of lots of shares that JP Morgan and all the American big banks, they own. They put it in a, a whole thing, and you buy a piece of that. And that's your Alibaba shares. Canada, with, via CIBC, which is the second worst after Scotiabank somehow, but they managed to be amazing. They have introduced CDRs to do the same thing for American stocks. You can buy, like, Apple stock for, like, $20 as a CDR. Apple.to. You can buy Facebook, you can buy Google, you can buy all of them, all the big ones, Coca-Cola. They all started at $20, and since then they fluctuated. So like Disney fell to like $11 or something because Disney had a big crash like last year. You know what I mean? And some of them went up a little bit, but have that's, I blown your mind yet? Fast. Yeah, I've never heard of this. Okay, I might yeah. do a little bit Check of it out, man. I'll, I'm going to send you yeah. some links after. So, all right. so anyway, I own some American stuff in my RSP, but uh, my Apple, Microsoft right now, and my Google, I own as CDRs. Okay. Yeah, and and you buy it on the Toronto Exchange, so it's like it's super easy. Uh, and for those specifically, I actually um, I've been buying on my. Cause I, I started off with Quest Trade, and then I made Wealth Simple accounts. I like Wealth Simple because it's like it's free, no commissions and stuff. So I've been buying those on my Wealth Simple, and it's so nice. It's amazing, and uh, it has all the biggest companies. So it's not everything, but it's like the main ones that people would actually want to buy. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, do it, I'll have to do a little bit more research into that. Yeah. 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 Send, yeah, me, yeah. send me a couple links. I uh, yeah. I will. Um. I'll send it you. It does sound like a cool idea. I will. Directory, and it's like the list of all of them, and it's it's totally like legit. Like it's not like a scam or anything like that. It's a real yeah. thing. Um. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy I showed you that, man, because uh, I was mind blown when I saw that. I was like, seriously, what? All right. Crazy. I'll take a look into it. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, anyhow, to, so to continue on the um, highest conviction, I can tell you mine. You, well, you probably already know, but I guess I'll reiterate it. Brookfield Corporation. Yeah. I mean, do you own any Brookfield? You don't, right? I, I don't, and that's kind of one of the things that I've been trying to get in. Like, trying to get into is not the right word, but it's just one of those things of like, I would like to start owning some Brookfield. I know we talked about it a couple months yeah. ago. I was like, all right, I would like to do this. Best and then I. Canada, I I haven't gotten around to it yet, and I do kick myself a little bit of it because it. there's two th- companies that I really, really, really want to add, and one of them is Brookfield, and the other one is CN. And it's like it's, <laughs> like two it's those two ones. Yes. I see you and Dave talk about you, and Dave, Man, and Dave talk so about all the time. Good. It's like, oh, like I, th- yeah. it's such like for CN perspective, it's such a large moat that. Any yeah. company who wants to come in though has to put tracks right beside it. That you can't. It's impossible. Like it's, like, it's so done. hard to do any of that. It's, so it's, it's like over. All right, no one can do it. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. Like this is what it is. It's like all right, I would like to get into some of that. Yeah. Brookfield. I've listened to your podcast on Brookfield a couple times, yeah, and so I agree know. with it, and I understand with it. It's just one of those things that I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Yeah. But sweep declaration. I will do that within the next couple weeks. Dude, I'm going honestly, to put that. Especially now with all the negative real estate, like this is actually a blessing for people who like Brookfield. People are gonna listen to this episode, and be like, "Oh, this guy's crazy." No, I'm serious. It's a blessing because uh, the stock price, the stock has fallen. Like, we're, it's so much lower than what at least Bruce Flat and his friends think that it's worth. You can <clears> buy it now. I think you're buying it at roughly ten times cash flow, which ten times free cash flow, which is like yeah. it's such a steal. It's ridiculous, and you know so, what I mean. So, yeah, I, I do. So I have to ask you though, like. 
Yep. Is uh is Brookfield paying you to say all this? Like I've never no. met anyone Dude, who has this I, much conviction I in know, Brookfield. Man. People have asked me that, and and honestly, I I understand. I would love to be paid by Brookfield. I would love <laughs> if they heard this and sponsored this podcast. But no, um, I literally I so I will tell you. I know two people who work there. Um, but I haven't spoken to them since they started working there. I know them from business school like years ago, and I haven't okay. spoken to them or anything. I don't go to them for insider info. I prefer to get my info from Bruce Flats, who does interviews all the time, and he's yeah, he's detailed. He's out he's there. He's one of the very rare. Well, he's a very rare CEO who basically comes out there and tells you exactly kind of how it is. Yeah, it's not and, a whole and, lot of the jargon. Exactly, and the thing too that I love so much about them. So here's the thing too. And I'll be devil's advocate. A lot of people are like, oh, Brookfield, their communication, they're, they're not transparent. You don't understand what goes on behind their closed doors. Excuse me, if you read their 300-page annual report, which I do, yep. they explain everything. You just have to take the time to read the freaking novels that they write yep. every quarter. And it's long and it's a lot of work. And I understand that. But you actually can. And they're doing everything that they're saying they're doing. So the CEO, when he goes on these interviews, he gives the like the you know big picture vision. But then when you want to look at the how, you read those quarterly reports and it's there. And also something to mm -hmm. help is every quarter, uh, he also writes a letter. And in that letter, so it's it's not as complicated as a quarterly report, but it's also a bit more dense and more informational than his like interviews. You read the letter, and they're very very clear on what they're doing, where they're going, where they see the future. It's it's all right there, you know. Yeah. So, it, yeah. I will say the nice thing. I know you've talked about it a bunch, and there's other people who have talked about it as well. Brookfield is basically like its own ETF of like yeah. they have so much exposure to so many different things that if you wanted yep. to. You can have a little bit of everything, and it's that's kind of what one I'm of those saying. It's a freaking octopus. They yeah. they are into everything. Yeah. So so that's what you know. Some people also they say, oh, but the real estate. Then just don't buy the real estate. Buy the infrastructure or mm -hmm. buy the renewable or whichever you know subsidiary you want. I prefer to own the corporation because, and that again, if you look at like in the details and the the reports and stuff, they have so much indirect control over these other subsidiaries like even if they don't own they don't even own the majority of the share for most of them except the business partners actually but they still control like pretty much everything you know what i mean mm -hmm. and they have the rights to like cut them out of deals if they feel like it's not appropriate to have them they can make separate they can do whatever they want and the insiders own all their wealth at the corporation level so for me it's like i would rather be aligned with bruce flat than with like whichever random person you know what i mean it's like yep. might as well yep. uh now of course though the problem with the corporation is the dividend and that you know i understand that like dividend investors will not like it because the yield is like less than one percent i think they keep most of the cash flow like they pay out i think last year they paid like 13 percent of yep. the cash so it, you know what i mean it's, it's like a berkshire halfway for me it's like i okay. own it for them to invest stuff because they're smarter than me uh, yep. at this game so that's exactly where I was going to go with it. It's one of those companies of like, all right, sure, it might pay literally almost nothing on dividends, but it's such a strong company that does acquisitions, that does so many different things, and is, like you said, an octopus in a little bit of everything that it's kind of like, all right, this company is going to be okay. They have a little bit of everything coming in. Sure, I'm not going to get a dividend from it. That's fine. If this company is going to keep growing, I'm perfectly content to be part of this company that is going to keep going. Exactly. And it's one of those things of like, all right, there is more than one way to invest. Like, okay, dividend investing is great, and we we enjoy it. That's great. Index fund investing, there's other types of investing. It's like, all right, you don't have to be married to only one thing. Like, I have my hands in a couple different – like, I talked about my three pillars. Like, I have three yep. different pillars. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, I'm only going to do this one thing. Like, yep. that's – 
if it absolutely works for you, great. But that's why Brookfield is one of those ones of like, I would like to get into that knowing that, hey, it's not going to be a, a super home run dividend payer. Like, I'm not going to get 3%. Like, if I get 1%, I'm perfectly okay with it because I understand that the company is going to keep going. And that's why I would like to get into it. Exactly, forward. man. And I'm not going to say thing... that you've totally convinced me, but you've Oh, well, let me, me convince you now. Uh, no, well, I don't know if I'll convince you, but no, more something to be mindful of. And that's also the thing that I think some of the critics don't always understand is you have when you buy this one you have to be long-term oriented you cannot buy this for like a one-year trade let's say mm -hmm. and that, and again that if you you know people who read they'll know that is part of their values they are investing focused looking at five ten year increments they're not looking at like six months type of thing so mm -hmm. again right now the real estate there, there's troubles at some of their assets i mean they say it's a very small portion but there is trouble and yep. you know that puts pressure on, on the stock price and and, and all of that but they are so big and they have so much cash, like across their whole ecosystem. I think it's about 125 billion of cash that they have. So that's, I think Berkshire is like 200 billion, right? So it's, it's, it's not that far from that level, right? Yep. They have tons of money. And so the point of something like them is that they have the money to ride out the crises. They can keep buying stuff. Basically, they buy stuff when things are in distress and no one else wants to buy it and when prices are low. And mm -hmm. then they sell when it's high. And so, you know, when things get bad, people look at them and they're like, well, why do you own this asset? And it's like, yeah, because they literally just bought it, right? And to give you one quick thing, too, about the, the real estate stuff, too, because that's important. And, and you're a real estate guy, so maybe, you, like, I'm sure you'll, you'll understand this even more than I do. But you look at the Brookfield Property Group, Brookfield Property Partners, which was one of their subsidiaries. Uh, now it's been privatized. But, you know, let's say I'm going to, just for prices, okay, before COVID, it was trading, like, around here. Then when COVID started, it fell down like right below the screen even. And then Brookfield bought it at like here. But the value of the actual assets, because those are things that bring in cash flow, you know, mm -hmm. it's still maybe it fell in reality from like here to there. So the price yep. fell from here to down there, but the value fell from here to there, right? So yep. now people there are some of their those assets from the entire property group, which is a huge company right some of those assets aren't doing very well because it's like the you know commercial real estate some of this like office stuff like the, the not good ones that are mm -hmm. failing and they're they're defaulting and people are like oh all the brookfield property stuff is bad but it's like no it's just some of the rubbish that came with that acquisition you know what i mean but yeah. overall it's huge what they have yeah there there is a component of that like i don't know a whole lot about so i'm gonna take your word yeah. on it for now okay, i will do yeah. some more reading but it is yeah. one of those things of like yeah it, it does make sense and it's it's there's a, a quote that I've heard from someone I can't remember who it is. Uh, it might be Mikey Rue, but he talks about like okay if you were if you walked by or maybe it was Buffett I don't know but I, I'm comparing the two of them here. Yeah. So if Mike if you're listening good for yeah. you. <laughs> um, like if, if you walk to work every day and there's someone screaming on the corner of the price of your house every single day as you walk by like after a while you're gonna start tuning them out. So like okay so that's in, in a microcosm in the macrocosm if we take a look at it and we say okay. We saw that all the housing prices kind of did a little bit of this and then did this for the last couple of years with the COVID and all the surplus and all that stuff. So it is one of those things of like, okay, like, yes, there might be some bad houses that did go up in value, but there are also some buildings that went down in value because they're empty and no one was using them. But I do think we are going to start to see a little bit more of a shift to this hybrid work style where there will yes. be some companies who will start to fill up these buildings again. And when they fill up the buildings again, or at least start to fill up the buildings, you're going to see the balance sheets of those buildings looking a little bit better. And who owns these buildings? 
Brookfield. So it's one of those things of like they took a look at it and went, okay, there's an opportunity here where some of these buildings potentially that, okay, they're empty. The people, they're going to lose money on the building. Let's acquire this portfolio of buildings and let's see what we can do in the long term. And that also brought me to another point that you had mentioned. You're buying Brookfield and Brookfield has this vision that they're looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years out there. Is there anything you own right now that you wouldn't be happy to own for 5, 10, 15, 20 years in your portfolio? Because the way that I look at it is if I'm buying something, I'm not looking to turn around and sell it in six months if it doubles. Well, maybe if it doubles. But like, I'm not looking <laughs> yeah. to buy something and turn around and sell it right away. Like, I'm buying into companies for the long term. And that's the way I look at things is long term because I understand what compound interest is going to do. And I'm kind of one of those things of like, all right, let's see what this does and let's – Let's just ride things out. I don't understand people who who jump in and jump out and they're trying to like dance in between raindrops. It's like you you can't yeah. do that. Like let the rain pass. Things will grow after the rain. Like everyone needs a little bit of water. It's going to be okay. We have down peaks, but we also have up peaks. So it's yep. going to be okay. So is there anything in your portfolio that you have that maybe you're not convinced that you would hold for long term? Or is there stuff that you're absolutely no, – I know you have a lot no, of stuff like so Brookfield that you hold. I do. No, what I would say is I – so you have three pillars. I have two. Uh, okay. One is I would call them the long-term core compounders. Those are stuff like Brookfield that I just keep adding to. I, I don't – I'm not going to say I don't care what price it's at, but it's like I just – I want to accumulate. And then I have um, – Maybe I say, okay, I have three pillars. And then I have my higher yielders. Those provide me cash flow, which is okay. especially good for like right now because I, I need that to help with my portfolio. Uh, so those are like Power Corporation uh, or Enbridge or Bell. You know what I mean? They're not going to grow mm -hmm. very much, but they give me pretty good cash, and that's great. Yep. But then I have my opportunistic buckets, like that Aritzia purchase, where it's like mm -hmm. not necessarily the type of company that I'm passionate about or care about, but it's like two cheap. There's opportunity. I have to just buy it. And yep. those ones, I am prepared to hold for a long time. Like Aritzia, if you tell me I have to hold for 10 years, no problem. I'm very happy to have it. But it's not really my plan. I'm expecting within two to three years maximum, it'll be mm -hmm. way more than where it's now. Maybe even within a year. Although we're in for a rough year, I think, with margin compressions and stuff. So let's give I it think two so. years. Let's give it two years. Uh, but in two to three years, you know, if it's doubled, I will sell. Probably. Or, I mean, hey, if, if the business keeps improving, I may even just keep it. But you know what I mean? So I have an optimistic I bucket. And I think a lot of people, uh, when they're not happy with Brookfield, that, because they, they're probably more thinking like that. And the thing with Brookfield is that, in my eyes at least, the value of the company it keeps increasing. But the price does kind of go up and down a little. Yeah. And so some people, let's say, you know, they would rather buy a Fortis where they, they are confident the price isn't going to drop too much. Whereas Brookfield, even if I'm confident in the business... The, the the price could kind of like go all over the place right yeah. now because of that real estate stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, what it, I mean? and it is. I, I for the record, I'm not saying that you you shouldn't have a, a fun money part part of your portfolio or your opportunistic part of your portfolio. I yeah. think that is a healthy way to look at your portfolio. Is like, okay, you're going to allocate a little portion of it that is going to be like, hey, let's go have some fun. Let's try a couple different things. Like, let's see what we can do. As long as you have your base foundation down and you have it basically rock solid you're perfectly fine to go and take a couple things and go play around with it for a, for a oh, little yeah. bit oh yeah 
hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm funding my opportunistic with dividends, which is like it's it's amazing. So, mm-hmm. so so yeah, but I, I think yeah, that's the thing that some people with Brookfield, you know, it, it turns them off a little, and, and I understand, uh, though I disagree. <laughs> no. So, but yeah, man, if if you buy it, I mean, not not trying to sell you on it, but I I think you know, in thirty years, if you keep it, you'll probably be like you'll be happy that you have mm-hmm. it. You know, I'm. I'm pretty confident that I will end up buying some very shortly, and I'm very confident yeah. I'll end up holding it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is my largest holding. It's almost 12% of my portfolio. So is, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, which is a lot for, for me. Um, I You know, for most of my companies, I want to keep it around 5%, so 12 is like, whoa, mm-hmm. more than double. Um, but yeah, and you talked about CN2. Dude, it's, it's also the best company in Canada, I think. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, right? It's like yeah. it's an ETF for industrial activity in Canada. People yeah. don't realize everything, that, but yeah, everything is getting run across it. Literally, right? And the thing is, we're a huge country. Uh, you know, if if CN goes on strike for like a week, you have some eastern provinces that run out of like fuel and stuff that they really like need. It's crazy. Yeah. So they can't even go on strike. I mean, when they do, it's a big problem. So yeah, it's for me, it's a no-brainer. I also really like Canadian Pacific, by the way, and I also mm-hmm. own it, but it's tiny position, unfortunately. I bought, I... and it's I'm up like forty percent on it, and it's only yeah. like a, you know a few shares, and like damn it, I should have yeah. bought more. But yeah. don't get me wrong, I, I like both. I think I think that the two of them have such a wide moat because there is no one that's going to kind of come in, and that's the unique thing about the Canadian market in a lot of different sectors, like even our telecoms. Our telecoms pretty much, our financials, our railroads, they are ogolopolis. Like you have a couple yeah. of the companies who are at the top, and it's pretty much like we're at the big kids table and we're not letting anyone else in. Like there's no chance of this. And it's kind of like, okay, when you have companies that have such a large moat like that, they're like, we can pretty much weather anything that gets thrown at us and we're know we're gonna be okay. Yeah. Like it's it's companies like that that are nice, and that's kind of why the Canadian market is so unique that we do have a couple of these core kings in every sector. That's like, all right, you want to be the the cream of the crop, like you have to come compete up here. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. Now, on one side, you could take a look at take a look at, it, and we'll use the telecom sector for a second of like, oh, like everyone is only gonna have one of the big three. Like, what happens with your other companies? Like, I know you talk about Quebec Core. A little uh, bit. Yes. So, and I know you're a big fan of that. I but love t- them. My fellow investors, thank you for still listening to our conversation. Uh, we had to pause this chat for a second because I don't pay for Zoom. So we are resuming and we were talking about Quebecor. Yes. Almost. Yes. Well, yes. We're, we're, we're talking about the sector, but I do want to talk to you about Quebec Core because I know you're, you, you really like it yeah. and there is a lot of benefit to it. I, I do think it is a good company, but it is one of those things of like, okay, Quebec Core has been in Quebec. Now, with the Rogers and Shaw merger, Shaw or Rogers, I can't remember. I think it was maybe it was Rogers sold off sold off Freedom Mobile. Sure, I could be Shaw. Sorry, yeah. Shaw did. So yeah. they sold off Freedom Mobile to Quebec Core, which is one of those things of like, all right, Quebec Core bought that. That's a way for them to get outside of the province of Quebec. So to me, they're the one company that can kind of go and say like, hey, we have an opportunity to expand just outside of Quebec and expand across the country because they have a very strong network in Quebec. And if you talk to anyone in Quebec. Quebec Core is basically number one for good reason. Everything has been pumped into their company for their infrastructure for Quebec. And now they're taking a look at it. All right, maybe there's a way for us to expand outward. So I I like the idea of Quebec Core. I do think it's great. I just need to see from my own perspective, I need to see a little bit more of the footwork going into saying like, all right, we're making the push to actually expand past Quebec. Because I think that once they do that, 
they could probably start stealing some some revenue from the big three because they look at it and go, well, if we can get a better deal from them and we've had one of these big three forever, maybe it's time for a change. And that's not the worst thing. So there may be some opportunity out there. And I, I think there is some opportunity. What do you think? I know you kind of so, like it. but So my opinion on this is I think they're going to be like EQB in that mm -hmm. they are going to take market share from the others, but the others aren't going to die either because even if they take market share, the pie of Canada still grows. You know, yep. we're one of very, like for Canadians, I don't know if you're born and raised here. Are you? Are you Canadian? Yes. Okay, so, so I mean, I, I'm sure you know, but some Canadians don't realize, but most countries don't actually have such a high immigration level. Like, I'm an immigrant, you know, super happy to be here now. Uh, we bring in, like... We brought like what five hundred thousand people, or something like it was something a lot like that per year, which is yep. more than one percent of our population. Five hundred thousand percent, if I'm not mistaken, that's more than what France brings in per year, and France is double our population, yep. right? And most countries. So anyway, immigrants, we need internet. We're like everyone else, you know what I mean? <laughs> we need a phone. Yep. We need all this stuff. So I, I do think. I mean, again, like you, like you said, uh, Videotron, which is the, the uh, telecom subsidiary of Québécois, they have to show that they're going to do that work. But they went from zero to 24% market share in Quebec in 15 years. Not bad. You know no, what I mean? That's, if that's they very can good. do that, I'm, I'm willing to give them a chance. And the other reason that I like them too, people forget that too. And that's why I was complaining about Bell earlier. Bell's like cash flows. It's crazy. They can't afford the dividend right now. Québécois dividend payout is 40% of cash flow. Mm -hmm. They have so much room to invest. They can buy back stock. They can do all kinds of stuff. And I'm confident that the dividend will be there. Bell, like you said, I think it, it'll be okay. But I don't like that I spend time wondering, will it be okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And Québécois, yeah, they're just killing it. So... You know, I think the Freedom Mobile acquisition, it's great. I mean, I know Freedom was already growing anyway. I know lots of people who use it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's cheaper and, it, and it's still yep. profitable. And if they can just keep building on that, I, I think it's going to be awesome. And again, it's great for all Canadians. If we can yep. get prices and down, it's great news. I, I think it is good to have other companies in the market like you don't have just the the three big guys it's yeah. nice to have other competition and make it more of a competitive market like yes it is a competitive market at the top but if we can get some of the middle guys and lower guys to slowly start making their way up and have more competitive markets out there i think it's going to only benefit everyone because it'll make everyone kind of look at it and go okay what is going to be our advantage like if that core's advantage has been they have been growing like crazy like we said in quebec like yeah. that has been their advantage they have the in right there now if they can find the in to go in elsewhere i think they will have the resources to be able to go and do this a little bit quicker because the the big three they're going to kind of take a look and go well we already own so much of this like why would we pump our resources to go after this little tiny segment so exactly. yes i do agree with that and like you said the pie is continuously growing in canada here so it's one of those things of like i don't think it's going to start shrinking anytime soon exactly because i can tell you sometimes like i'm obviously publicly enthusiastic about Quebecco, and i've had a couple comments where people they're almost offended they're like well they're not going to kill bell and i'm like saying we can coexist you yep. know, Bell can also succeed. I also own Bell. Yes, I prefer Quebec, but I own. But I actually also own Telus, by the way. It was a tiny position. I don't own Rogers. Don't don't like them. Um, <laughs> but so so you know what I mean. It's like I think there is room for all telecom to grow because we keep bringing in so much immigration, and that's still happening. You know what I mean. So and we all need internet and phones. Yeah. 
it, it's funny you mentioned that you don't own any Rogers. I own a couple shares of Rogers, and Ew. the oh, only the, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, I do agree. But the only reason I own some is because they own the Toronto Blue Jays, and like I oh, love Blue Jays. So to I me, understand. it's like it's one of those things of like, all right, I understand it's such a small part of their balance sheet, but to me, it's like, yes. well, I get to own a part of my favorite team. Yes. So like, I understand. Yay! So, but like besides that, like I have like ten shares. It's yeah. really I mean, nothing, and it's yeah. like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, Rogers. I mean, they are profitable. Like, it's not a failing company by any means. It's just their well, reputation they... is not great. And that blackout no. that they did, that like, what was it two years ago? That that was ridiculous. Yep, that's and just see, crazy. That's that's the thing that's kind of wild, and why you almost need competitive markets. And and I understand there was a lot of talk about it after, and a lot of the points were really well. Like, if one of the big guys goes down. You need to have other people that can support because yeah. we saw that went down and it cost a whole bunch of people a whole lot of money. Like businesses lost a bunch for their days and you couldn't communicate with people. And it's like, all right, the whole world almost, well, our world in yes. Canada here <laughs> shut down briefly for a day. And it's like, all right, this is a very first world. I understand it. But it's like it has become so integrated into our day-to-day -day lives that when it disappeared, people were like, I don't – like we don't know what to do with it now. Yeah. So there is – kind of a need for a more competitive market i think will yeah. we get there in the next five years i don't think so but i do think that if we can start to do some marginal progress on it i think we're gonna get there over time yes agreed um yeah dude when that blackout happened i was like is this a developed country or or what you know and no offense again to you i know you're a canadian but like no, what it, is going on here you know <laughs> it's not the first time it's happened that i've been here and it's like oh Seriously? like this has happened this before it's happened twice. So it happened oh, once man. last summer, and it <laughs> happened in uh, April of 2021, I believe it oh, did. Oh, wow. I didn't so it's happened realize. twice. So oh, I remember texting God. some people basically being like, hey, like, did you see my messages? And I'd have to basically message them on WhatsApp via Wi-Fi oh, and basically man. be like, hey, are you getting my text messages? And they're like, no, we're not getting anything. The network's down. And I'm like, yeah. all right, like, great. Great. Thanks for the support, That's guys. But just like, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I hope we get more competition, but I'm happy that uh, Quebecor is the one to, to, you know, to jump into that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, ho hopefully it happens. We shall see. But I like the the state of their, you know, the company, their finances, their balance sheet and all of that. It's it's splendid. Yeah. Like I said, to me, it's like an EQB. It's like grows faster than the dinosaurs, has a lower payout ratio, usually more innovative. They, they are, you know what I mean? They're, they're more yep. focused on actually really good customer experience. Um, so if they can keep that, then I think we'll see faster growth, but I think the others will grow as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, dude, I have a question for you. Um, we haven't really talked much about tech, but I, so I have a problem in my portfolio is that I'm very low on tech. Okay. And I think that's not good, actually. I, I would like to have more. I'm just curious about your thoughts in general on the sector. <sighs> Uh, hey, I don't want to be this guy, but like I don't have I don't have that many thoughts on the sector to be honest, which is None. ironic. It's ironic because I work in tech for a living as a computer programmer, and it's one of those things of like I there's a lot of cool things happening, but there's so much security stuff out there that it's like it there's so much money that has to get pumped into this to ensure security and all this stuff that's like you look at companies like Meta. So I think you talked about it where Meta took a shot and they're like, hey, we're going to really try to pump the metaverse. Like we're going to put a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of money into this. But it's one of those things that the company had so much money that they can take a big swing. And if yeah. they miss, they can be like, 
all right, we missed. Let's move on to the next thing. Like Amazon was the big thing like that too. Like Amazon tried to come out with a phone. I don't know how many people know that, but oh, Amazon yeah. <laughs> tried to come out with a phone. They tried a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the but thing is can. your your tails will win eventually. Like you're yeah. going to have some things that are going to end up paying off. Like you you get to a position where you can take those big swings. So you look at Microsoft. Microsoft is they have their own uh, version of ChatGPT now, and I understand that Google's doing their own version of ChatGPT. So like everyone's trying to do their version of AI, and it's kind of like this AI race. I think eventually everyone's going to get there, and it's going to become the preference of like, okay, which one do you like more? Yeah. But I, if you if you threw a dart on a tech company right now, I think you could either be great or you could be bust. Like there's so many different things. There's a couple of the big ones, like your Apple's, your Microsoft. Um, I guess we could put Meta in there too, if you really want, like, I'm not a big fan of them, but like you could put them in there and it's just like, all right, these are great companies that kind of own a little bit of that business. But like from the big perspective, I don't have a whole lot of real thought on tech stocks, to be honest. It's not one of those things that I follow regularly and mostly because mm -hmm. i just don't care to i spend enough time in tech during my day job that's like if i can escape from it after i'm okay with that that's very fair actually yeah man i i love the big tech in america yeah. like the so the apple microsoft google meta actually i don't love amazon i don't that's the only one i don't own okay but it honestly it's not that i don't like them it's just i haven't researched them enough and i don't like their shows i i have amazon like tv like the you know the, the prime uh, yep. streaming Gosh, man, those shows are not, they're not as good as Netflix. That's very disappointing. It's, so. <laughs> I, I think I've only, no. I think I've only watched like two shows off them. Yeah. And it's like, it's subpar compared to Netflix and even Disney Plus. So yeah, <laughs> I, so yeah, Amazon, it's a stupid reason to not own them, but it's just disappointing. <laughs> so I mean, I have them in the S&P, so it's okay. Yeah. So uh, let me, let me ask you a quick question about the tech stock. Yeah, so sure. Apple introduced that they're going to do their, their savings account. Oh yeah. So, do you think that might end up putting pressures on financials from financial companies? And what I mean by that is, all right, if you have this tech company who can also have a little bit of a financial wing, let's say Apple Finance or the iFinance, which if they come out with that, I came up with that first. Uh, if they do have something like that of like, all right, we're going to give you four, is it four and a half percent, 4.3 percent, something like that on your savings account? Well, it, if you see that now, it could be like the ally banks where they'll go and like, hey, we're going to juice it. We're going to give you 3%. And then in three months, it's like, all right, we're going to give you 2.5%. And then we're going to give you 2%. And then they kind of drop it down. Then they bump it up and then they drop it down. So if there is something like that that comes out where they start to get a little bit of a market share and they can kind of consistently hold it at like a 4%, do you think that that will – kind of take apple to the next level of maybe not just being this tech company but basically being you start to move towards a brookfield i guess a little bit of they have a little bit of hands and everything do you see that potentially happening dude i have one answer to you on that and that is china or probably okay. like, what is he saying china because they are already they have you know the world like super apps wechat alipay yep. all this stuff Yep, they are miles ahead on this type of stuff, and there is also backlash. Like Jack Ma, like the whole Alibaba. Pro I don't know how much you follow that. I followed it because I'm an Alibaba shareholder, so that was kind of sucked. But Jack Ma, basically, you know, so his his AliPay and and all those things, they were basically becoming like that. They had everything combined mm -hmm. in one, and he went uh, did speeches like, "Oh, look at our Chinese banks. They're so stupid compared to what I have." And then the Communist Party said, "Okay, <laughs> shut up," and he disappeared for six months. And they launched a huge regulatory crackdown, and it was a disaster. And Alibaba shares tanked. Um, so I I suspect 
uh, Apple. By the way, I think, yes, they could do that, and they would be amazing, and I think they would kill the American... Like, I mean, not kill, but they would steal market share. But yes. I think we would hit a point when probably the government at some point in America, even America, which is much would less step in. interventionist than China, of course, but they would probably be like, yo, Apple, chill out. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Don't do this other stuff. Uh, in Canada, I know 100% that like that's not going to happen because we are even more protectionist, uh, like yeah. protective of our like our banks. Like no way. So I'm not concerned about that in Canada, but in America, I think Apple is going to try to get into that. Um, but they're going to hit at some point a, a plateau where I think the government will just be like no, <laughs> yeah. because they'll be they'll be freaking out basically. I I think there there is a possibility for that. I don't. I don't know how how close we are to that. Like it could be, It'll be it while. could be that this this pops up now and flames out in six months. Like like we just talked about with Amazon coming out of the phone. Like it could just be one of these little fad things that they try and it doesn't work, and then they're like, all right, let's go yeah. on to something else. So there there is possibility for it to go anyways. But again, that's true. Like they they have so much money in the bank that they can pay that's off all the their thing. debts and still they, have cash left over. So it's like you can yeah. take the swing at this. They go can for it. They afford to try and to come up with something really good. Yeah, uh, and I I think there is re real potential that that they could. Um, yeah. If I had to pick a favorite of the big techs, for me it would probably be Microsoft. But I mean Apple, honestly, I'd put them at the same. They're they're really my two highest convictions in that space. Mm -hmm. And the moat is just like incredible. Like yeah, you know, this is an iPhone. We're yeah. on a MacBook right now. You know what I mean? I, I'm stuck with their stuff, and I, I'm a. I didn't tell you about this, but I, I'm a music guy, right? Um, oh yeah, I know everything. It's like it's all interconnected. All my my plugins that I bought, like everything, is relies on this Apple ecosystem. I, yep. I literally cannot change, you know. And I think you talked about it, that if you were to change, you would just end up getting the next MacBook because everything is yes. already integrated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've I've already saved. I have my money ready for whenever I need a new laptop, and I already know I'll just buy a MacBook. I'm not even yep. gonna consider another brand. I can't. You know what I mean? I'm stuck. Some people buy iPhones for other reasons. They just think it's cool, and I'm happy yeah. with that too. Keep giving me that money, you know. But for me, it's like <laughs> I literally have to. Uh, so yeah. yeah. They, they have you hooked up to the cord. Yeah, and Microsoft, I mean, we all use all their products. You know, it's, it's like it's literally Microsoft is synonymous with working, right? Yep. Like, you, what else are you going to do, right? Yeah. Uh, Actually, I think, yeah, kind of, sorry, quick quick little tangent on that. It's funny. Yeah. I was driving in the car on the weekend, and I heard a commercial for Microsoft Teams, and oh. it played the call from Teams, and oh, I literally God, thought that no. my phone was ringing, and I was like, no, no, we we can't do that. It was That's like the funny. the Super Bowl commercial where the kid was changing the the commercial was changing the channels and people were losing their minds. The same kind of thing. Like, no, like let's not do this. Oh my god. <laughs> let's not give people PTSD. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. No. I mean, they're they're everywhere. And yeah, I use Teams at work too. It, it's it's crazy, man. So those companies and and like you said, they they have so much cash. They have so much everything. Yeah. It's it's insane. And then you know, Google and Meta, they're a bit less popular. They're a little shakier, but I think they'll be fine too. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Meta is in a better shape than Google, actually. Yeah. Everyone hates Meta, but I, I think it's a really solid. Like, if you understand how they work, I think it's a pretty solid company. So I, I actually also use it for my music. Like, I, I run ads and stuff. Okay. It's, it's by far like the best thing you can do. You know what I mean? It's like all the businesses that use it for ads. Yeah. Once you start, you're addicted. Like, you can't not do it anymore. Yeah. It's I literally think... like Apple ecosystem. I think the the company is good. I think the business is good. I I think that some people might have issues just with just the personality of the business. Which oh yeah, those things 100%. happen. 
Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. could say you could say the same thing with Elon and anything that he touches. Like people yeah. people either love it or hate it. It becomes very polarizing. But it's like okay, some of the businesses itself are still good. You just don't like the person running the business yeah yeah and oh no th there is I, a lot of that i totally agree that mark is probably an alien he see i think he, he seems like an alien i don't know he's a he's a bit I... strange. but anyway yeah you know uh the for me I, I look at it as as a business using their product it's helped me so much yeah. and i you know for, for me and, and i see how much money it generates for them mm -hmm. and i'm like okay i want a piece of that because it's it's incredible yeah. uh and you know as the world keeps digitizing itself too right more and more people come up and, and and do ads and stuff it's like it's great and to me too if meta is our only competition like our like western competition to tiktok i'm saying yeah let's go for it reels by the way their latest uh quarter for, for meta reels is growing it's doing really well i have tiktok and reels like instagram but okay. i i used to use tiktok way more but now i'm only on reels i don't even look at tiktoks anymore ah uh, and yeah, i know I... many people doing that I, I can I can tell you that I don't use Facebook or TikTok, so. Oh well, neither. I, okay, so. It, it's one of those things of just like I spend enough time looking at technology, I don't need to spend more time yeah. looking at technology. Yeah, and I understand we're the generation of like people will watch a TikTok or do you remember when Vines were a thing and it was like oh, six yeah. to ten second videos yeah. and it's like all right, all right, like we would just be kind of consuming things like this and you wouldn't pay attention to anything. It's just all right, like let's just constantly feed our mind. It's just one of those things like all right. Maybe we're better off if we just kind of step away from things and go spend time outside. Like, I, yeah, there has to be other things than just technology in the world. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but I can tell you, reels are addicting, man. They're, I can imagine they're pretty good. I can uh, imagine algorithm. So that's the uh, the other thing too that I am I really like about Meta is, is how you know you can train the algorithm. Um, like you know, I talk to people. They're like, "Oh, it only shows me this and that." And I'm like, "You can actually take a step oh, yeah. back and then make it." I make it show me like you know, dolphins and cute things like that, and music things and investing things. But you know, what I mean, it's like you can make it. You can make the experience what yep. you want it to be, but you have yeah, to it's... know in your head that you're trying to make it that. Yes, and the the funny thing about that is, I I remember hearing the story many years ago as the person who would talk about like, okay, they never had a dog, but they went away for a weekend and they talked about how they would like to have a dog. And when they came back, they started seeing ads for dogs, and it's one of those oh, things of yeah. like, oh, like this is, this is strange. And like, there's there's small little things like that where, so like, I, I like to bike, I like to bike, and I like to to do some physical activity. And I like to lift. So it's one of those things of, okay, I know my phone knows when I go to do these things because I keep getting ads for like gym stuff, or which my yep. favorite thing is these like little gummy ketos that it has the picture of Oprah Winfrey when she was. Oprah Winfrey in the early 2000s to Oprah Winfrey now. And it's like, oh, if you take one of these in a year or sorry, in a week, you could drop 30 pounds. And it's like, to me, it's the same thing as investing. If anyone's trying to sell you a shortcut, it's not going to work. Like yep. I have never met a single person who thinks that they can take 10,000 and pump it in and turn it into a million in a week, unless you're going gambling. And that is a crazy thing within itself. But it's just one of those things of like, if it's someone's telling you something to get rich quick, it's not going to happen quick. Like you talk to anyone and Tony, you've talked to a lot of different people. Everyone you've talked to, what's the number one thing they say is like, they enjoyed the building process. It's a yeah. long process. They're not yeah. in a hurry to get rich because they understand that if they have a system in place, the system will continue to work and they'll take care of themselves later. Like it's going to be okay. So it's one of those things of if people are trying to offer you shortcuts, don't take them. People were pumping like, Hey, let's buy Dogecoin, Dogecoin to the moon oh, and all God, this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, 
yeah guys like you you can't be serious that you think a picture of an animal is gonna go to the moon and like the rocks and the apes and all this stuff and you look at it and you go like what is happening like none of the stuff makes sense and i understand that we lived in a very crazy time at the beginning of 2020 and 2021 that was crazy but like yeah Insane. You look on these things, and even at the time, you could kind of see the the red flags of like this doesn't make any sense. And then you see people that are just consumed by it, and it's like, oh man, like, yeah, what is happening? But yeah, yeah, no, those were absolutely weird times. I agree. We were yeah. definitely in reaching. I I said in my I don't know if you heard my Tesla episode, crazy town valuations. Yeah, actually, I gotta ask you, what do you think of Tesla? Company wise, I like it. I I think they are doing as an investment. Great sorry. Things. As an investment, I think I, I don't personally own any because I I understood and I saw the the crazy valuations that were happening and at the time I was like, there's no shot, like there's yeah. no shot that this company is at PE of fifteen, uh, fifteen hundred, fifteen thousand or whatever it was. It's like ridiculous. It's yeah. not happening. No. <laughs> yeah. Like no company is worth that, and if it is, like that company will be the only company in the world because it will literally, literally. swallow up everything. Yeah. Like no, it's not happening. But I. I, I like them from a business perspective. I do think they're they are trying to push the envelope in a lot of different sectors. Like he's yep. trying to Elon's trying to do the Starlink stuff and not trying, he is doing Starlink stuff. He's doing his SpaceX stuff, which I saw the launch and Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, that's not Tesla though. This is all separate stuff. Yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go on oh. tangent. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry I I'll, talk. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I'll swing I'll swing back to Tesla. Uh, <laughs> like Tesla I do think will start to become more integrated into people's lives with their home battery systems and all that stuff. Mm. So I think when that starts to get a little bit more popular and the costs come down and they can make it a little bit more efficient not only from a cost perspective but also from a usage perspective i do think that that will begin a shift that will put pressure on other companies so mm -hmm. i do think from an investment perspective there are a lot of good things that can happen and can continue like i did see that they decreased the price of their model three or model y don't remember two which one them. yeah two of them like, yeah. they are doing things to kind of try to pull in more business and try to uh, try to come down to the next level because i saw I saw something talking about the average price of an electric car in Canada, something between like forty and ninety thousand. They want to try to bring that down, and Elon was kind of like, "All right, like let's. I hear you. Like let's try to do something." So, I do think from a investment perspective, there is some light at the end of the well, not some light at the end of the tunnel. I still think there's a very long runway for Tesla. I think yes. they can be a great company. I do think that there is going to be some growing pains, like every company. Like there yeah. will be some times where it's not great, but there are going to be some other times when it is great. Yeah. And I do think That's long term, I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think what I'm more wondering, I guess, is just what's the right price to buy it at? You know what I mean? Because I think it's still really expensive. Like from a valuation perspective, I still think it's like, whoa. Like if you're buying it now, you're expecting like freaking huge growth. Yep. And, and I, I think... And I, maybe I could be wrong, but I'm because I honestly I don't know that sector very well. Like I'm I'm not totally in tune with what the competition is doing, but I'm sure the competition is kind of working hard to like you know how are we going to replicate some of this stuff or how are we going to do our own version, you know. Mm -hmm. And and you know all the governments across the world are starting to look at mandating like you know by 2035 only electric cars can be sold. You know what I mean? It's going to be a thing. Yeah. So because before electric cars used to be only a tesla thing and now it's it's going to be an everyone thing yep and th and that's the part where i don't know if the tesla advantage is going to still be huge so like you said hopefully for them if they manage to build a moat by integrating some of the other stuff with it mm -hmm. to make their own differentiated product that would be great but i so, I, mean, I hope they can do that yeah 
So almost if it becomes like an Apple thing where you have yes. your iCloud and you're completely integrated through that. So I do think that there is a, a path where Tesla can become like you have what kind of car do you have? You have an electric car? Yes. Is it a Tesla? Like that, that's the first mm. question is, is it this one? Like what kind of phone do you have? Do you have an iPhone? And yeah, like it's mm. here's your iPhone. You have a whole bunch of other different kinds of phones. But like the first one that people think of is iPhone. Like what's your Internet search browser? Is it Google? Like it's that's going to be your first one. So I do think that he has put Tesla on the map and given them the head start in that, that, OK, when you do be, have this race for the electric car or the more mass production electric car, it, they've set themselves up pretty well to be like, well, do you have a Tesla? Like mm -hmm. this is this is the echelon of like this is the thing that everyone has that everyone wants. So I do think there is a possibility for that. And I think that if that does happen, they they can absolutely start lapping the competition. So the same way that Apple's doing it right now. There there is a path that I can see that happening. If that happens, I have no idea. Am I fully convinced on that? Absolutely not, but I can see a path to it. Yeah, that's fair. Thank you for sharing that, man. I'm I'm happy to hear other opinions because i mean i, I hear a, a lot of but I mean, that, that's like an informed bullish opinion uh, i'll put that because i know i i hear sure. a lot of uninformed bullish opinions on tesla well uh, I, hold on i could also have an uninformed bullish opinion that could very easily be what i just said no, I, think but... I, I think that was pretty informed like you're not just saying oh to the moon dogecoin oh, you know God, what i mean no, that's no. what i'm saying because <laughs> no. if you type tesla and you yeah. see what people post about it it's a yeah. lot of that i like i like you know? to stay a little bit more grounded let's say yeah ex exactly <laughs> that i appreciate that yeah. okay man another thing uh, i'm sorry to i'm not even keeping you for a while but i, I have something i want to ask you what okay. have been some of your best and worst stocks ever uh whew. i guess whew. I don't know if I have any like super best ones or super worst ones. Like obviously I have a lot that are doing great. Like my my index funds have been like number one across the board for my best ones over long term. Uh, the one I'm down the most on right now is Algonquin, and we we've kind of mm, talked a little okay, bit about yeah. that. But it's one of those ones of like I'm not overly concerned on it. But other than that, I don't actually have anything that's ever been down terribly. Like wow, I've never so bought good. something. Okay, maybe it's good, that's but at the same great. time, it's like, I don't have, like, yeah, no, Algonquin's the only thing that's kind of like, well, like, let's take a look at it. Like, yeah, I don't have anything else that's hemorrhaged me. Dude, mainly because you, man. Uh, maybe that makes me very risk adverse. And no. risk, is, risk is a thing that everyone can, everyone has their own tolerance. But to me, it's like, hey, look, yeah. I would rather have the companies that I know and that people are going to continue to pay in versus... Like, let's go. I heard about this oil company out west that, oh man, it's going to be oh, the greatest. Like, I've yeah. used that as an example, but like, I'm yeah. not going to go put my money in something that someone just told me. Or, like, if my cab driver tells me something, like, I'm not going to go start putting my money in that because that, like, I like to do a little bit of research into stuff before I jump in. I like to make informed decisions. I don't like to, I like to try and take emotion out of investing as much as I can and look at things from a rational perspective yeah. and think about it and go, okay, is this a right play? Like, when, when all the GameStop stuff was happening, for example, like that was oh, fascinating man. to watch from the outside. But it's one of those things of like, I don't think I'm going to do anything about it. Now, I did play a little bit with it, and I did make a little bit of money, but nothing like fantastic to write home about. I made like three percent, but it's like, yeah, me too. Hey, yeah, you know what? It it was it was fun, but I don't have anything that I'm majorly down on, and like, that's awesome, I have a couple. Man. A couple fifty plus returners, but those are like VDY, VFV, VUN, like it's index funds. Like I don't have a single stock that's been 
to the moon, let's say. Like, I don't have anything fantastic like that because it's all positions that I'm starting to grow. And yeah, uh, like, I'm not concerned with them at all. But well, yeah, no, what about listeners, you? you? Listeners, take notes. This is how to invest properly. Literally, I'm not even being sarcastic. Like, this is exactly it. This that's is the awesome, man. way. This is the boring way to do it. Yes, but, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Right investing yeah. needs to be boring. If it's exciting, then you're not investing. You're being yeah. an idiot. <laughs> kind of. I unfortunately it, it tried to be a little exciting back in my earlier days. Um, and I, I, you know what? I've got a couple where I'm holding the bag real bad. You know, I got burned. Mm -hmm. um, the first, well, I talked about it earlier, Alibaba. So yeah. here's the thing, though. I'm actually still really bullish on this one. It's just right. ge geopolitics. It's like, you know, obviously That's fair. Really, it's really difficult. But the business itself is freaking awesome. They are like 10,000 miles ahead of us in like everything. But I am down on it, unfortunately, after this mm -hmm. um, regulatory crackdown. So that sucks. But the one, though, that's even worse... And that I that's when I joined Crazy Town with when everyone was buying like Tesla and all that. Oh, let's it's go. Teladoc Health. Oh, okay, that's not where I thought you were going. I've never oh. heard of that. You've never heard of Teladoc? No, I haven't. Oh, dude, let me blow your mind again. All right, let's it's go. Actually, no, it's a great company. Okay. Okay. So healthcare is actually my yep. only healthcare stock. It is the <laughs> largest, I think, in the world virtual okay. healthcare company. It's not a fad. It's not like garbage. It's actually no, no. good. And I can tell you, they own. Um, BetterHelp. Have you heard of that? Uh, that I have heard of. Good. Uh, so it is the largest in America, like virtual, um, what do you say? Uh, like, uh, you know, to, to, to put you with a therapy, like uh, online therapy. Yep. And they're growing like crazy. It's like freaking insane what they're doing. Yep. Uh, so, so what they basically tell a doc though, is not just BetterHelp, but BetterHelp is part of it, but they want to be an ETF of, uh, providers or, or things that help for health, but virtually. And uh, they call it whole person care. And basically, it's the idea that they would treat, um, what's the word, for uh, acute care. So things like, okay. you know, oh, I just lost, my, uh, cut off my finger, <laughs> so something like that. And also stuff like chronic care, like diabetes, things that where they ha you have to have someone that, you know, is with you like over a long period of time, right? Okay. They have partnerships and integrations with like Microsoft, actually. So they're super deep in the tech and the analytics as well. And basically, okay. the goal is to provide better healthcare overall and for cheaper than the U.S. healthcare system, which is a mess, frankly. It's it's a disaster. And they're linked with hospitals as well. So Teladoc is awesome. The main big problem with them, first thing is, I bought at a crazy town valuation. Like I was being stupid at, at that point, so that was my fault. But the other <clears> thing <throat> that they did is they had an acquisition, and it's great for the long term strategy, uh, but the price that they paid for was stupid. And, and this actually, it's relevant for your accounting. Um, basically, when you, and I, I wasn't even that familiar with that, but when you acquire a company like that, it's called Livongo, um, it, it's not even uh, necessarily like that. They weren't like a super CapEx heavy business, but they, they had this thing, it's called uh, Goodwill. You know, it's, it's like yep. the intangible value. Okay, so yep. they bought at such a high price, and then the Teladoc price started falling just with the market, like after, you know, this whole tech thing going on. It fell, and then they had to write down huge, huge expenses, and then they called it uh, goodwill impairment charges, right? Yep. Dude, they lost, like, so just to, to give you reference, like last quarter, they just reported last week, they, they lost, I think it was 48 cents per share or so, and most of it actually was stock-based compensation, so that's, that's okay. It wasn't like, like, their cash flow positive, but last year, because of that acquisition, they lost $60 per share. Damn. Yes. Okay, that is, yeah, no, that's not a small number. I've never seen that in my life. So anyway, 
huge disaster in terms of the price they paid. But the business, they are cash flow positive and they are growing revenue really fast. And, and I'm really encouraged by that part. They, I mean, they, they pulled in like, like what was it? Two and a half billion in revenue oh, last year. Uh, and, and, you know, and back in like 2015 or so, it was like, I don't know, 50 million or something. So just to give okay. you like, so yeah. It, is this similar, maybe in the same vein? I do know that TELUS is trying to do a little bit of stuff in the healthcare industry with, yes. uh, with that. Is it like similar that, but 10 million times better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do. I do so know the Telus is like the primitive version, <laughs> and Teladoc is like really best, like actual healthcare, best analytics. And again, the thing about the whole person care is that there's so much potential for cross-selling. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you're in for diabetes. Maybe you also are depressed about it. Here's BetterHelp. You know what I mean? <laughs> things things yeah. like that. Basically, we can take a look at a couple different things. You're not just here for exactly. one thing. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So, so I'm super bullish on it, but I just I paid the stupid price for it, and I'm down like 80% on it. So that's that's terrible. But it's whatever. I'm I'm holding. I'm not yeah. averaging down, but I am holding. Okay. So on that though, you're not you're not gonna average down. You're gonna hold it. I mean, I may, I may you... at some point, but not right now. Like uh, because but, it also doesn't pay a dividend. So yeah. it's like you know I might uh, and I see lots of other good opportunities too. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like you learned a lesson off of it, though, right? Oh yeah, never exactly. buy so, a stock at a stupid price. <laughs> so that that right there is a lesson that you'll carry with yourself forward. So when you take yeah. a look at seven, we just talked about Tesla. So I, I don't know if these things happen, which one happened in which order, but like let's assume that the teledoc thing, telehealth, teledoc thing happened beforehand. Well, you look at Tesla and you go, well, like, yeah, no, 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 I'm not getting. I've already got burnt by this yep. one, so I'm not going to let it happen again. Literally, man. So there are lessons yeah. to be learned there. Huge lesson, yeah. dude. Yeah. Anyhow, man, um, I, I, final question for you. I just right, wanted to away. ask you if you have a uh, word of advice that you would like to share for all the listeners uh, or, you know, any nice final words or anything, really. Uh, the only thing that I would really, really want people to know is like, hey, look, like investing can be scary. Like there's – if you look at the last couple of years, things can be scary. Things go up and down. But if you build yourself a solid foundation and a solid plan – like things are going to be okay. Like the one cool thing about Twitter and I, I've talked to you, Tony, I've talked to Nate, I've talked to Dave, I've talked to a whole bunch of different people. When you get to talk to different people, you get to learn, like I said, you get to learn a little bit more about their tips and tricks and strategies, and you can kind of implement and take a couple things from everyone and put it into your portfolio and put it into your plan. Like that's my favorite thing about listening to podcasts and coming on podcasts is you get to learn a little bit. Like Tony, I've learned a lot about stuff from you and i've learned a lot about stuff from everyone and it's one of those things of like there are things that i've learned from you that i'm going to take back and i'm going to think about and i'm going to see if i can incorporate into my portfolio if it works for me and it's just one of those things that that's the way you get better you can't sit there and do everything singular like it doesn't work like that anymore you need to almost have a couple different people and bounce ideas off people so it's good to have a network of people that you can bounce ideas off of but the main thing is make sure you have a solid foundation and don't just try to do like option cover calls or oh god crypto yeah. coins or anything like yeah. build a simple portfolio of strategy talk to some people if you need to get a financial advisor get a fee only advisor pay them for an hour ask them all the questions you want but just start and build yourself a solid foundation and from there build yourself a plan and then just slowly start moving with the plan i'm not saying to go crazy into things but just get started and build something small that's secure and you'll have fun and it's supposed to be fun keep that in mind it's not the end of the world but you're supposed to have fun as you do it because if you don't have fun while you do it if you end up in your 50 and you have a whole bunch of money you're going to be miserable if you didn't have any fun doing anything so make sure you have fun while you do stuff
That's what I would true. tell people. Fun but boring also. Yes. Boring portfolio, but have yeah. fun building it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love it, man. Okay, well, thank you so much for being such a stellar guest. That was a great conversation. We've beaten the record. This is our longest of the three that I've now had, but that's that's great. Um, so yeah, amazing stuff, man. I really, really enjoyed our chat. And uh, again, for everyone uh, listening, please make sure to follow him at, at the Millennial Mojo. Uh, on Twitter, do you have a YouTube or no? I don't think I you... do not. No, it's just Twitter. no. I don't. Okay. Uh, I don't have enough time right now. I'm doing accounting school, so makes sense. So follow him on it. Twitter because he's a legend. And uh, you know, as always, make sure to subscribe to the uh, the podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in to the Newcomer Investor Channel, and I look forward to connecting again with you soon.